Have you ever felt lost? Paralyzed by the twists and turns, the decisions and deadlines ahead of you? Have you paused before making a big decision, prayed that the correct path, the wise path, would be easy to see? If you've ever chosen the wrong path, you probably still live with regret after seeing where you ended up. There's a different way, a straighter path, but it's not found in our own understanding. Let the wise listen. Let the lost receive guidance. The wisdom of God is available to all. Are you listening? pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we read a moment ago, the heavens declare your glory. And they declare your glory because you set them in place. In the beginning, you were there with your wisdom, ordaining where the stars would be set in the sky, separating the waters, doing your work of creation by your hand, And that creation continues to this day by your power and knowledge, Lord. And so when we look out and we see the world around us, we can see your character shining through it. We know that we couldn't keep the sun from rising in the morning, even by our greatest strength, because you are the one who guides it across the sky, declaring that you are in control of all things. And so we praise you for that might and the wisdom through which just one of your stars, just one of the many innumerable stars brings life, all life to earth. And Lord God, we confess that we come in here this morning maybe not always seeing this because of our sin. We, we become self-focused We become distracted by the things around us, Lord. We sin willingly and unwillingly, knowingly and unknowingly, Lord. And so we ask and we confess this to you as we come together here, Lord. And and we know, we confess knowing that you said if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. And that is what we need this morning. And then in the name by which that happens, in the name of Christ, and we can come to you and we can ask, we can ask for the good things that you promised us, Lord. This morning we're talking about wisdom and not many days go by where we are not in need of your guidance and discernment, Lord. And not just us, we think in a few weeks as schools reopen, Lord, we ask that you would you would give wisdom to school administrators and teachers as they, they work in these final few weeks of preparing. God, we pray whether they believe in you or not that you would be working in them to serve our children and our communities, Lord, that they would do so in, in wisdom that comes from you. And Lord, we also think of those who are at the state level or maybe the federal level who are setting guidelines in place by which our schools operate. Lord, we pray that you would give them wisdom as well to set good laws and good rules that are for the good of our people, Father. And as we think 
not just of our own family here, but our family across the world, Father. We think of our, our global partners. We think of people like the Stutzmans who, who need your wisdom. As we pray for them here as a congregation, they're trying to discern where it is, how it is you want them to move in a place that is, that is dark, that is at the forefront of human trafficking and sex trafficking, Lord, in a dark place, we ask that you would, that you would give them wisdom and discernment to be able to follow your way, even in a difficult place. And Lord God, now we turn our eyes to you. Leaving behind the things that seek to distract our heart, we ask that you would come here, that your spirit would be present with us in power, and that by your spirit, your word would be made alive to us. We are wasting our time here this morning if you don't come, so we ask you to come. And we ask with confidence, knowing that the same power who raised Jesus from the dead is able to do this for us as well. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Tom, and I'm one of the elders here at LAFC. And this morning, we're beginning a new series in what is perhaps one of the most famous pieces of wisdom literature in the history of the world, the book of Proverbs. So if you don't have a Bible, our usher would be happy to provide you with one. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1. You can go ahead and turn there. And while they're handing these Bibles out, if you haven't been in Proverbs for a while, I want to read you a couple of examples from across the book to kind of orient you to the types of things we're going to see in this series. So this is Proverbs 26, 19, which says, Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is the one who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Proverbs 20:19 says, "A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much." Proverbs 6:27 through 29 says, "Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes, clothes being burned? Can he walk across hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife." No one who touches her will go unpunished. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. And one of my personal favorites for all of you dog lovers out there, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. <laughs> Give your dog a kiss for me when you get home. So this title, the title of our series is Wisdom for the Journey. And these sorts of proverbs, these sayings, are typically the things that we associate with wisdom. Now, I realize that we all come here with maybe a different conception of what wisdom is because it's a really big topic. And as I was sorting through different biblical definitions out there, and there's a, a number of good ones, I came across this one. It was written by a guy named Gerhard von Rod, a German theologian, from a few decades ago, he studied the Old Testament, and he wrote that wisdom means becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. Becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. And what we're going to see in the book of Proverbs is that this competence, it plays out in a couple of different ways. The first thing we see is that wisdom means to know the difference between right and wrong. There's a moral aspect to it. So for example, earning money through honest work is good, 
while stealing or earning it through dishonest means is not good. Wisdom knows the difference between good and evil. Wisdom also can understand in this reality, understand that the causes have effects and it can see the connection between the two. So if you don't work, then you won't earn money. You can see that cause and effect. Maybe some of you are trying to teach your teenagers this right now. Hopefully not your adult children. Another competency that wisdom can give to us is it can distinguish between good better, and best. So one example would be, it is better to earn a little bit and be content than to earn a lot and forget who God is. Wisdom can see this. It can, it can rank good, better, and best. Now, some of my earliest impressions of wisdom came from movie characters. Characters like Yoda or Gandalf or maybe from other generations, Mary Poppins, right? These are characters that spoke in pithy little sayings and proverbs. But perhaps one of my favorites was Mr. Miyagi. You guys remember him, the mentor from The Karate Kid? And one of his probably most famous sayings was, wax on, wax off. Right, which basically just meant that mundane tasks like waxing a car can teach you values like work ethic that will serve you for life. Now, all that was happening here is Hollywood was borrowing wisdom from Proverbs, Proverbs like uh, 1224, that talk about work ethic, and then personifying that in a character. That's why we see these people as containing wisdom. But if wisdom means becoming competent with regard to the realities of life, then what happens to wisdom when our understanding or perception of reality changes? You see, a lot has changed in our culture since Mr. Miyagi and Yoda made their appearances almost 30, 40 years ago. You see, back then, our culture still had remnants of its Judeo-Christian heritage. And so that, that understanding was then integrated into the common worldview, which is why you'd see it show up, things like work ethic would show up in characters uh, that even Hollywood was producing. But the society that we live in now has a post-Christian understanding of reality. In this new reality that we're in, right and wrong are no longer considered to be external and universal, but they're considered to be internal and individual. The ones who are considered virtuous in this new reality we find ourselves in are the ones who help you to explore and express what you feel is going on inside of you. According to this worldview, the good, the better, and the best means discovering the path that makes you feel the most true or authentic to yourself. And if you happen to encounter a cause that has an effect that maybe doesn't make you feel so good, well then the problem certainly isn't with you. There must be a, a person or an institution that needs to be changed. And this new wisdom, it comes with new proverbs. Proverbs like, love is love, 
and you do you. We can see these proverbs, they're on yard signs, we see them on t-shirts, maybe you've heard them in marketing campaigns or political slogans. People want you to know that they've been enlightened to a new sense of reality and that you should too. And friends, we have all been affected by the unanchoring of our culture from its biblical roots. The question no longer is if, but how have you felt it? In our relationships with those who we dearly love, have you noticed that sometimes expressing that love while also doing what is right is no longer as clear as it used to be? Or maybe circumstances have caused you to experience different emotions like grief or confusion, anger, maybe fear or anxiety. You see, our journey has entered into new territory. But biblical wisdom continues to be relevant for us because it can teach us how to live even in an unhinged world. And this doesn't need to be far off. In Christ, it is available to all of us. Wisdom is not a gift that's just given or available to a few. In Christ, wisdom is available to every single one of us. And so this morning, as we begin our study of the book of Proverbs, I have just one hope and prayer. That as we dig into the wisdom of God, that God would use it in us to replace some of our confusion with God-glorifying clarity. I ask that he would show us the way that he established for us to grow in true wisdom. I ask that he would show us, to help us understand and see that his wisdom, it transcends cultures because it is grounded in a reality that does not change and is unaffected by the winds of the world. And I, I, I want you to ask with me, be praying with me, that God would allow his truth to penetrate so deeply into our minds and our hearts that regardless of what we face tomorrow in the world, that the light in us would cause us to know how to speak and think and act in such a way that our light is able to push back the darkness. So that's where we're going as we turn to the book of Proverbs. And we're gonna be starting at the very beginning, Proverbs chapter one, beginning in verse one. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so Proverbs, 
begins with maybe one of the clearest introductions that we get in any book in scripture. We can see right in verse one who wrote it. It's written by Solomon. Now, not all of it is written by Solomon. You'll see later on that he, he also pulls in some Proverbs from other folks, but we, we know that Solomon wrote most of this. And if you're not familiar with Solomon or how he got to be so wise, then I would encourage you at some point, maybe this afternoon, open up to 1 Kings chapter 1 through 3, and you can get some background on the guy that wrote Proverbs. Now, in verse 2 through 6, what he does is he lays out very clearly why he wrote this book. And just keep in mind that as I'm saying, Solomon wrote it for a purpose. God through Solomon writes it for the very same purpose. So, so what we read in two through six is why God gave us the book of Proverbs. And we can see at the beginning of verse two, three, four, and six, that it's for this. And it's given for this and for this and for this. And then after all of those words, we see the types of wisdom words that it was written to give us. So we're going to see words like insight and instruction, prudence, knowing what's just, right, and fair, guidance, being able to understand proverbs and riddles. These are the types of things that it was written for. Now, these are all very similar words. And I considered maybe going through eight different definitions of this. But to, to be honest, when I tried to do that, I confused myself, so for sure I would confuse you. So we're not gonna go through eight definitions this morning, but the way that I tend to think about things, maybe more like an elementary school kid, is I like to put them in pictures. So if you open my notebook, you'll see a picture that I drew for verses two through six, and we're gonna have that on a slide, so maybe it will be helpful for you. Now, Proverbs 9.1 describes wisdom as a house. So I drew verses two through six as a house. So the roof of the house, you can see, gives us those purpose words, that the book was written for receiving, for giving, and for understanding. And then what we've done here is we've we split them into two different categories, knowing that these words mean different things, and maybe two different floors in the house, where the first floor, the first category is moral character, and the second floor is maybe more like what we typically think of with wisdom, what we call discernment. Now, again, these are common words that you're going to find all throughout Proverbs. But just to show you a little bit of how it plays out, let me give you an example of both categories. So Proverbs 15.5 is a proverb having to do with the first floor, moral character. So be listening for the first floor words as I read this. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Did you catch the words in there? So each proverb, it teaches us something a little bit different. This particular proverb, what it is teaching us is that instruction happens when a father is trying to pass down wisdom to his son. More specifically, he's trying to pass down, teach his son what is right. And then we learn that the son is considered to be prudent if he receives that instruction. So in other words, Proverbs describes the giving and receiving of instruction as the giving and receiving of moral wisdom. That's what's going on there. So that's the first floor. And that type of exchange, I don't know about you, I've got young kids, we're having that exchange a dozen times a day, maybe more. Now the second floor is what we might call discernment. This, this is, is similar to the first floor, but it goes a little bit beyond it. So what I, one thing I want you to see is that discernment, it doesn't stand alone. 
It is built on top of moral wisdom. But it, it offers us additional insights that we wouldn't get just through understanding what God's word says about morality. Let me give you an example. We read this a little bit earlier. Proverbs 20:19 says, "A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much." So, can you see how that proverb goes a little bit further than morality? Because it's not a sin to spend time with somebody who gossips. But wisdom knows that if you do that, and you do it for long enough, chances are that person will either betray your trust or make you complicit, involve you in the betraying of somebody else's trust. So wisdom discerns, it goes a little bit further and advises us what it means to live rightly. Maybe, maybe limit your time with people like that. Another example is Proverbs 22, verse one, which says, a good name is more desirable than great riches, right? So good name is desirable, great riches also desirable, but one of them is better. And so wisdom knows that if you're ever faced with a choice, maybe choosing between a promotion, but taking that promotion might cause you in some way to lose your good name among your church or your family or your friends, wisdom would know that the good name is better. So choose that. Wisdom knows how to rightly prioritize things, which is a lot of the types of situations that you and I, we face every single day. So in the weeks ahead as we go through Proverbs, we're gonna be encountering Proverbs that fall into both of these categories. So as we listen to this and we study it together, I'd be asking you to ask yourself, I wonder what floor we're on with this. Is this moral character? And if it is, ask yourself maybe what laws from God's law might it be associated with? Or what else have I read that sounds like this? And if you find that we're on the second floor, the more discerning floor, you can be asking yourself, I wonder what past situations or maybe current situations or uh, circumstances that my friends are in that this might apply to, that it might provide some insight into. I would also encourage you that as we're going through this book of Proverbs to be reading the book regularly. Now, I know from, this was probably a couple years ago, I was teaching in an adult Bible fellowship class, and I sent out a survey asking the class, what are the types of things that you pray for? Two, three, four different things. And the most common answer, I think it was in like 60% of the responses I got, the most common answer was wisdom, which Makes sense, right? We see that Solomon prayed for wisdom. We know James tells us that if we desire wisdom, we should pray for it. And even among the, among the elders, we begin every elder meeting in prayer, and pretty much every single one I can think of begins with one of the elders, at least, asking for God's spirit to bring wisdom and discernment to the things that we are discussing that evening. But recognize that the answer to our prayers might not always be in some epiphany. The answer to our prayers for wisdom could be in the book that God wrote to give us wisdom. And he may want to answer your prayers by having you go out and find it, seek it, and he will allow you to find it. So one habit that I know many, some elders and missionaries of this church do this habit as well, 
is to read Proverbs every single day. Conveniently, it's, it's organized into 31 chapters, which means whenever you open your Bible, you can look at the date and read the chapter for that day. So today I read through Proverbs 16. But what I'm just trying to say is you don't have to wait for wisdom to come to you. God tells us to go out and find it, and then he gives us a treasure chest full of it. It's not that hard to find. Okay, so knowing that Proverbs was written for us to grow in wisdom, specifically in moral character and discernment, our next question is, where should we start? Now, mankind... As many of us know, we're, we're born sinful. We're not born as a, as a blank slate. But when it comes to wisdom, when it comes to becoming competent with regard to the realities of life, we do sort of start like a blank slate. Proverbs calls this beginning state being simple. Look, at me, look with me at uh, verse four. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. You see, simple, as described in Scripture, simple is neither wise nor foolish, not yet. Julie Lowe describes the simple as being easy to persuade, lacking conviction, shapeable. The simple can easily become victims of various winds of teaching. Proverbs 14, 15 says, the simple believe anything. Now, I've got three young kids, and over the years, I've convinced them of a lot of things. It's uh, maybe one of my pastimes. So a few weeks ago, just for example, a few weeks ago, the family was outside in our backyard. We were all, everyone was playing happily, calmly. I was back fixing our pool equipment. And I looked around and saw how calm they were playing, and I thought, I should probably spice this up a little bit. So... I got in my head, I'm going to pretend like I'm being attacked by a swarm of bees. So without saying anything, just off in the corner of the yard, I start to just kind of like slowly swat like something's bothering me until I, until I know that I got their attention. After which my swatting gets increasingly more aggressive and now I see the, the panic and the terror start to form in their face. And then at just the right moment, I go sprinting towards our pool. I jump in the air into the pool and on the way down, I yell, bees! as I splashed in, and to my great delight, when I came to the surface, my daughter Ella was running full speed and she jumped into the pool right behind me. <laughs> she didn't want to become the next victim. And then when my eyes went a little bit further to my wife, I saw her look up from her book, roll her eyes, and just go back to <laughs> reading. <laughs> so look, we all, we all start simple, especially the young, but we really need to know is how do we become wise rather than becoming foolish? And this is an age-old question. So if you had been around to ask the ancient Egyptian philosopher, Petahotep, how do you become wise? He might have said, well, you start by observing the world around you and maybe listening to others. If you had asked Plato, the philosopher, Greek philosopher Plato, how do you become wise? He might have said, well, you start by knowing thyself. Immanuel Kant, a uh, German philosopher, if you had asked him, how do you become wise? He would have said, well, you start with the study of the mind or you start with the study of knowledge. But in verse seven, 
we get a radically different starting point for wisdom than you will find in any other worldview throughout all of history. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10 says something very similar. Maybe this one's more familiar to you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And the fear of the Lord is not some secondary concept in Proverbs. It's, it's all throughout it. You'll see it 20 times across 31 chapters. Like a plant that can only be grown from a seed, all wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom, all wisdom. And it's not just one way to wisdom, it is the only way to wisdom. There are no other ways. All wisdom begins with a fear of the Lord. Many in our age claim to have wisdom apart from this. But as the scripture says, although they claim to be wise, they became fools. We set out this morning with one prayer, that the Lord would replace some of our confusion with clarity. And this is the key to that. There is no wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. As it says in Job 28, 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. But what does that mean, to fear the Lord? Maybe you're gathering that this is important for us, but what exactly does it mean to fear the Lord? And if you've read your scripture there might be other things starting to come to mind, like, doesn't God tell Joshua not to fear? Isn't this something that God says to his people over and over again throughout the whole Old Testament? Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, through angels. In the New Testament, doesn't Jesus tell his disciples, do not fear? The whole way through to the end, do not fear. And yet at the same time, we read all throughout Scripture, fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. So which one is it? Are we to fear or are we to not fear? And if it's both, how do those two things fit together? Because scripture is unified through the spirit, we know that it's both. Let me see if I can help you understand how the fear of the Lord fits with his encouragement to us not to fear. On the screens here is a picture of a guy named Sebastian Studner. And what you see him doing here is he is surfing on a world record setting 86 foot tall wave off the coast of Portugal. It's a monster wave. Now in that moment, if you're him, that wave is your entire life. Right, is under you, it's above you, it's to your right, it's to your left. You feel it's cool mist on your skin. It is everywhere. And it's moving in a direction. Now you can choose to move with it or move against it. But if you move with it, what, what a champion surfer like him would tell you, it becomes the very fullness of your life, the very peak of your existence. But to move with it, you have to humbly respect 
its power and its magnitude. You have to learn to feel its movements. As Nat Young, a two-time world surfing champion, once said, there's something magical about being able to ride an unpredictable wave. It teaches patience and humbleness. And this is what it's like to fear the Lord. The sheer magnitude of his power is enough to make us tremble, but it's not in terror. To fear is to revere. And then from that heart posture of humility, to fear God then means to wait on him, to patiently look for what he is doing and then submit to his power and to his goodness. Growing in wisdom means learning to see his hand at work, learning to trust the movement of his spirit like a surfer would learn a wave, even when following in his spirit requires every ounce of our energy and our being. But we hold on. Regardless of where he goes, we hold on knowing that if we remain in him, if he becomes to us the very peak of our existence because fearing God is what we were designed for. As Proverbs 28, 14 says, happy is the man who fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord, it's not terror. It is indescribable joy. Now, I want you to contrast that picture with what we read in Proverbs 14, verse 1, which says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, can you imagine for a second what would have happened if Sebastian Studner, at the top of that 86-foot-tall wave, said in his heart, there is no wave? And yet that is exactly how some of us live our lives. To live as if God doesn't exist is the pinnacle of foolishness because God is not just a part of reality, he is ultimate reality. The world does not depend on you or on me, it depends on him. The universe is not centered on you or on me, it is centered on him. He is the only one who is worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise, our reverence. Friends, you might have come in here this morning thinking that wisdom was about knowing the right answers or making the right choices. But what we see here in verse seven is that all wisdom hangs on a single question. Do you fear the Lord? Proverbs 14, 27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. In other words, there is more at stake here than what we traditionally associate with wisdom. Life and death are on the table and the path you choose will continue with you into eternity. As C.S. Lewis once said, 
there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who say, thy will be done to God, or those to whom God in the end says, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. So if you came in here this morning fighting against God, you have a choice. You can choose to say there is no wave. Or you can choose to submit your life and your eternity to God. And if you're ready to live in that fearful joy of our Lord Jesus, then I have one more thing that I need to tell you about wisdom. God revealed through Paul in 1 Corinthians that Christ Jesus is the wisdom of God. So if you wanna understand who you truly are, if you wanna have meaning and purpose in life, then you must start by coming to the one who designed you and then created you and then came to earth incarnate to die and be raised from the dead in order to redeem you. He, the wisdom of God, is the source of all of our life and all of our purpose and all of our meaning. It is through Jesus Christ that you can find the full riches of complete understanding, which is not given to us for earthly gain, but in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To fear God is to fear Jesus Christ, to submit to Christ's awesome power, which he demonstrated in his resurrection from the dead on the cross. To fear is to revere him. Now for the rest of the church as we close here, would you turn with me to Proverbs 14, 26? What I wanna do here is I wanna help you connect what we're talking about here from Proverbs 1 today with what you're gonna face tomorrow. Proverbs 14, 26 says this, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children, it will be a refuge. Earlier in Proverbs 1, verse 4, we read that the young are simple. They're shapeable. They can easily get caught up in things, swept away. They can easily fall into believing even the most self-contradictory of worldviews. As a dad raising three young kids, in a post-Christian culture, I feel this. And for all of us who are here as believers in a church that has been blessed with a lot of youth, we should understand the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I hope you understand that there is a battle that is at our doorstep. And like those who work for Nehemiah, we must live with our swords constantly at our sides. Yes, you know, there was a time when I thought that this battle was primarily political. But at some point I realized 
that as important as it is for us to advocate for good policy, and we should, I do, we should advocate for good policy, I also saw that we all live in a form of government that is by the people, which means if the people do not fear the Lord, the government will eventually reflect that. And just hear me on this. I'm not being defeatist. I am just trying to help us understand how to best invest our time and our energy that we could learn to live unapologetically as the church. God has given us a secure fortress for us and for our children, but it's not in policy. Thank the Lord. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for their children, it will be a refuge. To fear is to revere. So how does reverence for Christ become a fortress around our church and around our homes? Well, here's what it does. Seeing and savoring God for all that he is, it helps us see the world rightly, which protects us from the schemes of the enemy who is seeking to pollute both our theology and our wisdom with this post-Christian understanding of the world. Last summer, we identified this threat as syncretism, which we described as a sink full of clean water that the enemy was trying to mix dirty dishes into when we weren't looking. And maybe you have felt that this temptation pressing in on you. Let me give you a few examples of where I've seen the church battling these temptations. When we're tempted to watch church online rather than gathering as the Lord commands, we're being tempted to mix you do you in with our faith. When we're tempted to use others' preferred pronouns rather than not bearing false witness as the Lord commands. We're being tempted to mix in love is love with our faith. When we're tempted to affirm a fellow believer's desire for divorce rather than exhorting them to honor the marriage covenant as the Lord commands, we're being tempted to mix in, be true to yourself with our faith. The threats are too numerous to count, but the defense against them is singular and it is effective. Whoever fears the Lord Jesus Christ has a secure fortress because in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and he will keep us from being deceived. which is why the most important inheritance that we can pass down to our youth is a relationship with Jesus Christ who is the very essence of wisdom and humility. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children, it will be a refuge. One of the common missteps that we can fall into, especially in this time of cultural transition, is we can try to pass down, as Proverbs says, we can try to pass down wisdom 
this level two discernment wisdom or this level one moral wisdom without first teaching our youth to fear the Lord. You know, for a long time, we could assume a reverence for God, but not anymore. So teaching our kids to first discern the implications of, if you, if you start here, if you, if you start by trying to teach your kids to discern God's good design and how uh, not following their male and femaleness would be bad for them, if you start there without first teaching them to fear the Lord, they, it won't protect them for life because they've never learned to fear the one who designed them that way. Teaching them to understand God's moral character is a good thing to teach, but it won't protect them if they've never learned to fear the one from whom all morality flows. They will be tempted to believe that morality comes from inside of them. Our instruction in wisdom must start at the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. But my friends, we can't give what we don't possess. So as we move into this next song, ask yourself, does my life demonstrate that I fear and revere the Lord? And if the answer is no, that is okay because her God is rich in grace and mercy. And he sent his son to die in our place, even when we were sinners. So of course, he would welcome us to commit our lives to him for the first time, or maybe to recommit ourselves to the fear of him. And we do that. We start in growing in wisdom by learning to revere and worship him as the creator and maker of all things. And from there, our wisdom will flow. So as we move into a time where we can do this, let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are too vast for our minds to possibly comprehend. And so when we're faced with difficulties and trials in this world, we need only look to you and the vastness of who you are will push away all doubt, all anxiety. You could become to us our rock. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us new eyes to see this reality for what it truly is. Give us competency to understand the reality that you created in which we are living our full, authentic, true selves when we are worshiping you. Teach us to do this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we respond, committing ourselves to the Lord? Then from north to south, 
Be magnified. 
we've covered a lot of ground today and we've got more to cover. We're gonna be in Proverbs for the next two months. And so I encourage you to be reading it on your own. We also are gonna be offering an elective starting on August 6th on the book of Proverbs to help supplement some of the things we'll be teaching here. So if you wanna dig in further, I'd encourage you to check that out. You can find details on our website. One thing I hope that you leave today understanding is that biblical wisdom is not something that is just set aside for the few. It's a gift to everyone who seeks it. So look for it. God wants to show you his wisdom and that wisdom is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you are facing challenging circumstances, a group this size, many would be. So if you're looking to discern the right way and something that's challenging you uh, right now in your life, we have people who would love to pray for wisdom and discernment with you in our encounter room. I would also love to pray with you as well. Don't leave here without appealing to the Lord to help you in understanding the path, the right, the right path he has for you. He has you in the circumstances that you're in for his glory. On that note, I wanna close by reading a passage from Isaiah. This is a prophecy from Isaiah 11. Isaiah wrote, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is a prophecy about our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that as you go forward this week, that that same spirit would rest on you and transform you more into his likeness. So go in peace. You are dismissed.